Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright. That's Howard Tybal. You sound tired. I, I'm not tired. Are you kidding? I really sound tired. No, I no, feel actually, great. Yeah, actually, you know, you look great too. The so, snow has melted. About- the, it is. This is a whole oh. new day here. Yeah, and the snow has melted here, and there's another storm coming on Thursday. I, I've heard this. That's. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry. That's okay. We are uh, we are continuing our series. Uh, we've we've been talking about this uh, the, the the relationships of strategic partners across the uh, administration, and today uh, our focus really is on the chief business officer. and And the the question uh, is, what makes a great CBO? What makes a great chief business officer? And and uh, you know we're we're approaching this from uh, a, a little bit of a nuanced perspective, I think, we, because we know that there are, you know, organizations that have statistics that define what a great CBO is. I, that, I, I think, goes without saying, but there are lots of resources out there. What, what I'd really like to get to, Howard, is your perspective based on your observations uh, over the last, you know, 30 years of, of working with great CBOs and and, yeah. uh, and how they integrate into the uh, administration to to do good work. Well, so so let me first define something, Pete, because uh, that term is something that, um, and again, I do a lot of work with Nakubo. Uh, anyone listening to this that's part of um, the finance side of the house slash business officer knows who Nakubo is in higher ed. And... Um, whether it's business officers for independent schools, K through 12, uh, or business officers for higher education, the, the concept here, uh, the chief business officer is the person who either oversees a relatively narrow focus and, and historically used to be called the financial vice president, and they might just own the financial side of the house. But more and more, it's the case that the chief business officer is that person who oversees the operations of the institution. And finance is one piece of it, but also there's human resources, there's facilities, there's auxiliaries. So the person we're speaking about, and anyone listening to this that's part of that knows what I'm talking about, just to clarify everybody, is that person that oversees the administrative side of the house, uh, often sitting on the cabinet, actually almost always sitting on the cabinet, uh, reporting directly to the president, and plays a really critical role with the with the board. So I want to start off by saying that this role, I'm going to make some assumptions about the person we're talking about here. And it's true for some, and it's not true for others. Uh, a great CBO needs to have some fundamentals down, right? So organizational skills, financial acumen, problem-solving skills, good people skills. Now, when I say they need to have those foundations, I can tell you that for all of us, we're always in a continuum of, of improvement. And I would tell you also that many chief business officers, if they've been at their institution long enough or in higher ed, have worked their way up to the ranks. So... There is a whole initiative and awareness out there that there are some skill sets around the the fundamentals that are important for business officers. But I'm not talking about any of that. I'm assuming that that foundational piece is down. What what is distinguishing an exceptional chief business officer from one who gets the job done? And from my point of view, it's mindset. It's their mindset. It's how they see their responsibility 
in their role for their institution. And you really can't teach mindset. It's a choice. You know, just I can I can you have to make a choice to say, you know, I'm going to hold that mindset. So, so let me give you an example. It's very often, I mean, it's, it's probably always the case that a president has a mindset, a president, a head of school has a mindset that I am going to have to demonstrate leadership to the people that report to me and demonstrate leadership to the community and demonstrate leadership to my board. I think the big transition going on with chief business officers in higher education is they are beginning to recognize if they don't demonstrate that kind of leadership mindset, uh, leading others through change, finding ways to bring parties together, getting the academics to come to the table, translating finance for, for, for the boards. If they don't find ways to do that with the mindset of my job is not to balance the books, but to actually affect change in the institution, very little is going to change. Uh, it is now you can say that the faculty they're going to play a big role in this. The president too, but I would say when when I look at the leadership in higher education, there is a great opportunity for for chief business officers to take to step even more into the role of recognizing they have a leadership capacity that they can fill. And some are, and some aren't. I, I think you know I how much I love the word responsibility, uh, yep. and and this idea of responsibility uh, in the role beyond uh, the uh, you know what what's written in the job description. Uh, I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, the challenge of moving beyond the job description in in getting this because I feel like there are some assumptions around filling the CBO role. Uh, around the sort of knowledge, skills, and abilities that may not be articulated when you start talking about making the transition to mindset, to having a pro-university or a pro-institutional mindset? Well, you know, it's interesting. It depends who you ask, because I could talk to some people who live very deeply in the board environment, in the board world, and their view is chief business officers do not have the influence you're suggesting, Howard. Um, the influence lives with the president and the board. Uh, and if that is not, if, if that relationship isn't solid, now I disagree with that in, in a certain way. I think the chief business officer uh, has to recognize that the only way the president can effectively make the changes they need to see happen is, is either through responding to a vision by giving the president what they need and being their partner and you know, what's great is the timing of this podcast is great because, you know, I've just been deeply in this conversation for an article that we've written for Business Officer that's going to come out in March or April. Um, and and it's it's really about this idea that the, the business officer has to find a way and the president has to find a way to recognize we are traveling this together. And sometimes the business officer has to say to the president, Buck stops here. We're not doing this. We, we shouldn't be doing this. And other times, in the face of making making bold moves, you know, we're gonna we're gonna build a campus. You know, part of our mission is to be international. We're gonna build a campus in another part of the world. Now, for a business officer, their number one priority 
is to say, can we afford that, right? And and a lot of business officers historically, and I've seen these dialogues, have been the voice of no, right? Right. And, and, and isn't that the expectation, I think, or, or I should not say expectation, the assumption that we have historically? That is the assumption that we have historically. And the tough part now is, is that we're in a climate where that mentality of no is back and strong, that because of environmental and economic factors right now you can't raise tuition the way you used to the endowments are flat or maybe they're coming back uh, at this point but again that's going to continue to go up and down and i think that the the business officer is in a position to frame for their institution uh this is what within partnership with the board and the president and the faculty, you know, I, it's funny because I even find myself occasionally forgetting about that voice. And I think that more now than ever, and I think there's more attempts around this, that, you know, I, I make this joke in these workshops that I lead, that one of the things that people on the financial administrative side of the house have to do more of is they need to get out of their office and go meet the people that they're serving on their turf. And there's a, you know, there's an ivory tower view of administration by anyone that's not in administration that these people are sitting out there uh, deciding our priorities, and I'm talking now from the faculty perspective, and have no idea what's really going on, right? So there's a significant disconnect in, in conversation between the academic side and the, the uh, finance side of the house or the administrative side of the house. And one of the things that where great leadership is showing up is business officers getting out of their office and saying, you know what, I'm going to meet you on your terms. I'm going to be interested in what do you consider to be the priorities, provost, chief academic officer, faculty senate members, and then finding a way to clarify for them those are part of my priorities or why we can't do these things. Right. There is it's it has a lot to do with the dialogue. So I started off by saying there's some, there's some fundamental skills. Uh, one of them is communication. But let me let me clarify this. I think all, all of us have most of us that make it to the level of being a vice president have good communication skills. It's 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 part of the nature of being able to rise to that level. I think there's a step there's we have to take it a notch further in that. It's not just about being a good communicator as a vice president. It's about being a translator of where we are and being interested in how the messages is being received. Think about that for a second. Most of us think about communication as I speak and you listen, where really we're talking about if I'm conveying a message to you, let's say I'm in front of the faculty and I'm trying to explain about uh, where we are in terms of our operating budget uh, for the next three years and why we need to cut you know, a couple million dollars out of the budget. You can get through your PowerPoint and share with them all the things you think are important or you can get through the foundation of what you want to say and spend the majority of your time saying, what questions do you have? What are you getting from this? Where do you think, uh, where, where do you see there are holes in, in what I'm saying? There's not enough that hap of that happening. And, and, and I'll tell you something, part of the dilemma is uh, 
there's there's a strong aversion to what I would call healthy conflict. You know, I, you you spoke a little bit about uh, um, earlier about this idea of um, uh, where where administrators would say or board members would say, oh, the chief business officer doesn't have that much influence, Howard. Uh, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on the next 10 years, uh, based on your experience of the last 30, uh, about what you would recommend to a university president in hiring the next great chief business officer. Most of us who enter in a new institution or a company inherit the people we have, right? We don't pick them. So if, you're new, if you come in to be president, over time, you stay there long enough, you will eventually have the team you want. But it starts off, you have the team you inherited, right? So let's say that you had the opportunity to pick your person. What are you looking for? The presidents who I have a great deal of respect for, what they're doing is they're saying, I'm not interested in somebody who just understands higher ed. Uh, and, you know, think about the interviewing process. If, if, if you came in to sit down and you had on paper all the credentials and you worked at 10 out of the universities and you, under, you have all the lingo down around higher ed, you could give the impression that you're the right person for the job. I think presidents need to look more and more and will and are looking for chief business officers outside of higher education from industry. I'm seeing it already. They're picking people from the Navy. They're picking people from corporations, from pharmaceutical companies. And what are these people bringing? They're, pick, they're bringing a critical thinking and a, and a deep understanding of what it means to manage to the bottom line. Now, again, here's what's challenging about this. Higher ed is not about profit, but more now than ever, there is a recognition that managing to a bottom line, it's the conversation that higher ed has avoided since day one, is that we don't need to manage to a bottom line. We'll figure it out every year. And I think what you're going to see 10 years from now is an overwhelming number of chief business officers who have either reinvented themselves through training and education, and there's a lot of that going on right now, or you're going to see an influx of people from outside of higher ed who are bringing different thinking, who are saying things like, why are you doing it this way? See, if you're in, if you're in the industry, you're, 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 you're already handicapped because you're looking at the situation and saying, you know what, I understand why we budget this way. Chief business officers who have been in higher ed for a very long time or in independent schools have to look really hard. How willing are they, just like you say to me, Pete, how willing are they to speak truth to power? How willing are they to step up and say, you know what, as much as I understand why we're doing these things, we have to change the business model. And that's what's happening. And the schools that figure this out are going to be sustainable over the long term. And the schools that are not, I mean, I would say in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see strategic alliances, we're going to see mergers, we're going to see closures, and it's going to increase. And the fallout's going to be the schools that understood how to manage the business of higher education and independent schools 
and I use those two because I work in those two domains, they're the ones that are going to survive. And they're going to figure out how to be lean. They're going to, they're going to figure out how to right-size their, their head count, as painful a conversation that is. It's happening everywhere. Do we have the right people? Do we have the right number of people? Right? Right. This is, and it's very hard to do this, by the way. If you've been somewhere a long time, you build, we talked about loyalty. Yes. Sometimes it takes somebody, and I've seen schools do this. They bring in new people to help turn around old way of thinking. And that is where a lot of schools are right now. And, and I would say many more have to figure out if they want to take that seriously or not. I think it's a great conversation. It's sort of part one of our conversation about integrating this sort of leadership uh, thinking and strategic thinking uh, and some great insights, Howard. Thank you uh, so much, as always, for your wisdom. Well, you know, same back to you, Pete. You bring you bring a ton to this, too. This is good stuff. I encourage you to subscribe to the show if you haven't. You can find the link on the website. You can jump over to iTunes, subscribe for free. Uh, you can also grab the, uh, the, the feed there, subscribe in whatever podcast application you, you like. We encourage you to join us each week for this conversation. And on behalf of Howard Teibel, thanks for listening. I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc.